Lord, we are prone to wander, that's for sure. And we ask that you would use what you say in Scripture to draw us back to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm assuming that most of you have seen the movie The Sound of Music, right? Mostly have seen that. And there's a scene in it where Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer are marveling at their good fortune to have fallen in love. And they're wondering what they did to deserve such a blessing. And as they talk, they spontaneously burst into song, you know, as you do. I'm sure you all spontaneously burst into song with your spouses, right? And you probably know the song. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. For here you are, standing there, loving me, whether or not you should, right? So somewhere in my youth, what? No. (laughs) Somewhere in my youth or childhood, now all of us, I must have done... There you go. This is the third sermon in a series called The Book of First Opinions. All those opinions we think are in the Bible, but that aren't. And that song captures a very widely held opinion. In some ways, it is the American religion. And that is that good people get rewarded. Or on a spiritual level, good people go to heaven just because they're good. And that if we want to get into heaven, well, we better do something good. But that is not what the Bible says, certainly not the passages we just read. In fact, it's almost the opposite. And that idea that good people go to heaven wrecks a number of things in our life. And the first thing that it wrecks is heaven. Because if our goodness, defined by us, gets us to heaven, well then look around. This is pretty much it. This is as good as it's going to get. I mean, maybe minus a few really bad people like Hitler or Osama bin Laden, right? But more or less... Because by our own, this is heaven, because by our own standards of goodness, we're all pretty good. There was a survey in U.S. News and World Report a few years ago that asked people, who do you think will go to heaven based on their goodness? 79% of people said they thought Mother Teresa would get into heaven. 79%? That means 21% are great and pretty tough, don't you think? Oprah was next at 66%. And right after her was Michael Jordan at 65%. Don't ask me why. A lot of Bulls fans, I guess. But there was one vote-getter who topped even Mother Teresa. One person received an 87% shot at getting into heaven. And who do you think that was? The number one person was named me. The person taking the survey. 87% of people think that they have a better chance of getting into heaven than even Mother Teresa based on their own goodness. So if it's our own goodness that gets to heaven, take a look around. You're there. Those people who say hurtful things or lie or don't help others by our own standards, they're good people. They're in heaven without needing to be healed by Jesus first. Just they're all on their own goodness. Are you satisfied with that? God's not. Nobody longs for a world that is only 51% set right. 
Nobody wants to spend eternity in a world that's only 49% bad. God's standard, and he's the one to set the standard after all because he loves us and he made us. God's standard is he wants us to spend eternity in perfection because he loves us. And the good people get to heaven idea wrecks heaven by making the standards too low. The second thing it wrecks is it wrecks us. Because if we get to heaven on our own goodness, well, then how good is good enough? Right? And that leaves us with this anxiety that we always have to do more. How many prayers are enough? How many good deeds are enough? How many sermons do I have to pretend to listen to before I'm acceptable to God? Right? Haven't I suffered enough? And it's not just on a spiritual level that we experience that anxiety. It seeps into our everyday lives. And emotionally, we feel this need to prove ourselves. Get impressive jobs. Rack up a lot of degrees. Make a lot of money to earn people's approval. It's even in the sound of music. If I'm going to be loved, I better do something good. A third thing the good people go to heaven idea wrecks is our relationship with other people. Because we start to measure our goodness against theirs. Are they better than we are or are they worse? Usually they're worse, it turns out. So instead of an authentic relationship where we can be open and honest with who we really are, we end up judging others and being judged and forcing to hide the real us. And the last thing the good people go to heaven idea Rex, is our relationship with God. Because either God turns into this cosmic ogre constantly demanding more and more of us to accept us, or we think we don't need God because, after all, we're good enough on our own without him. The idea that our goodness gets us to heaven wrecks a lot of things. And that's why the God revealed in Jesus, unlike any other God in any other religion, the God revealed in Jesus is the only one who says, you do not have to earn my approval. That's good news. Jesus says, look, here's the deal. We need to maintain the standards. Justice needs to be done. When you gossip or lie or whatever, that hurts other people. And those things need to be accounted for or there's no justice. But I'll take the punishment on the cross so you don't have to. All you have to do is admit that you need forgiving, that you can't do it on your own. And then let me into your life so that I can help you become authentically good, not phony good on the outside, but really good from the inside out. That process won't be complete until heaven, but we're going to start it now. That's what Jesus says. We do not have to earn his approval. And that's what the passages that we just read in Scripture are talking about. The Apostle Paul says nobody is good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as you know, sin used to be a Greek term, an archery term, that meant to fail to hit the bullseye. None of us get up every morning and hit a moral bullseye. So Paul goes on and he says, but now there is a righteousness apart from the law, apart from what we do. And we're never going to understand how it all works fully, but somehow Jesus takes our punishment so we're made righteous through him. And all we have to do is admit that we can't do it on our own. We need him to forgive us. And that's the difference between the Pharisee, the religious leader, and the tax collector in the other story we read where the Pharisee, the religious leader, brags about all of his good deeds, thinking that that's going to make him right with God. But the tax collector says over and over again, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He can admit his sin. 
And because of that, he is justified, not the religious guy. Because he can admit that he has sin and needs forgiveness. But that would be the problem, wouldn't it? Because according to that U.S. News poll, we don't want to admit that we're sinful. We think we're pretty good. Other people are bad. We just have ethical growth opportunities. Other people have prejudices. We have deeply held convictions. Other people lie. We give the correct perspective on events. When I see someone else yelling at their kids, it's because they can't control their temper. But when I yell at my kids, it's because they've misbehaved so badly that even Mr. Rogers would yell at them. And I'm just meeting out justice. That's called pride. And it's the first sin. Adam and Eve ate the apple because they believed that they could have obtained moral perfection based on their own good deeds. Hey, eat this apple and you're going to be like God. So they said, we can be like God if we just take matters into our own hands. And what God asked is that we reverse that one original sin and lay down our pride and say, no, it's not going to be by my efforts, Lord. It's by what you've done on the cross, not by what I've done. Now, some of you right now might find this sermon a little depressing. You may think, bummer. I've spent my whole life trying to be good. Doesn't that count for anything? And others of you may be thinking, well, if being good doesn't get me to heaven, why bother? Why bother follow Jesus in this lifetime? Is there any reason to do that? Yes. Because Christianity is a lot more than figuring out the bare minimum requirements to get our hindquarters into heaven. It's about leading a full and abundant life right here, right now. And part of that is becoming an authentically good person from the inside out. But we can't do it on our own. That's the point. We need Jesus to help. And because we don't have to earn God's approval anymore, our motive for doing good things changes. We don't do good things to earn his approval. We do them because we trust him. We have learned to trust that when he says do this or don't do that, it's so that we can have a full life. It's like my kids. They always look both ways before crossing the street, not to earn our approval, but because they trust us. When we say, if you don't look both ways, you can get hurt. Since I've known Jesus, a lot of things in my life have changed. I used to have a terrible temper. I'm not perfect on that score, but over the years, Jesus has helped calm me down. And I'm under no illusion I did that on my own. That was, that was an, a God thing. I used to never obey God's commands. Now I try to obey. Don't always, but I try. Not to earn his approval, but because I trust him. I've learned to trust him. Over the years, he's always right. And I've learned to trust that when he says do this or don't do that, it's to bring me joy. A few weeks ago, one of our elders was talking at our elder meeting about how God had been working in his life. And he mentioned an eight-year-old girl named Cindy who he and his wife have gotten to know through volunteering at the Jubilee Reach Center. And, and a few weeks ago, Cindy asked this elder if he would come to her class concert. So the elder did, and it just it meant the world to this little girl. Well, as his elder was recounting this story, he got choked up and sort of started to cry. Because that moment for him of going to that concert and that relationship for him was a kingdom moment. It was a moment when heaven came down to earth. And he found it very fulfilling. And all he had to do was show up. Now, he didn't volunteer at the Jubilee Reach Center so that he could get into heaven. He did it because he trusted Jesus. 
who says that when we serve, it brings joy. And it did. Following Jesus has significant rewards right here, right now. We get the joy of being in relationship with him. He helps us become authentically good. And we get to be part of what he's doing in the world. But God's grace means we don't have to do those things to earn his approval. Listen to this. Our relationship with him is the one place in our lives that we do not have to earn anybody's approval or approve ourselves. The other thing God's grace means is that we can be a community. We can accept each other. Because if you really get it through your skin that we're all just a bunch of fallen sinners in need of God's grace, well, then we can't judge each other for being morally inferior because we're all morally inferior. I have a friend who invited a non-Christian friend of his to go to church. And the non-Christian friend said, I can't do that. If, if I walked into a church, I'd set off the heathen alarm. <laughs> heathen alarm. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to have? <laughs> like every time a sinner came through the door, you know, sirens would sound, lights would flash. Maybe a loud voice could say, warning, heathen alert, evacuate, right? Maybe we ought to get us one of them. Only problem is, darn thing be going off all the time, wouldn't it? We are all in the same boat. The ticket for admission into the Christian faith is not having our act together. It's understanding we're all sinners in need of God's grace. And that means we don't have to hide our sin. We can't judge others for theirs. We just stand as equals at the foot of the cross. There's a pastor I know of whose parents were very proud of him because he was a pastor. He had a lot of degrees did a lot of good things, served the poor, helped people in need. What they didn't know, though, was that he had a problem with alcohol. And it just kept getting worse and worse, so eventually he checked into a rehab center. But he was too embarrassed to tell his parents, so he told them that he was going, going to be gone for a while on an assignment with his church. But his parents found out the truth through a friend, and, and this pastor found out that his parents knew. So when he got out of rehab, he was afraid. He was afraid that he'd lost his his parents' love and respect and approval. So after he got out of rehab, he did not go to see them for a long, long time out of embarrassment. Well, finally, he drove drove by his parents' house, and he couldn't get the courage to go in, so instead he went to a park that was across the street. And he watched as his parents came home from work, and he waited until they went to bed, and finally he walked up to the house. And for some reason, he looked in the mailbox. And inside there was a note, and the note said, Welcome home, son. We are so proud of you. Come on in. There's chicken salad sandwiches in the refrigerator. And the note was slightly yellowed, so it was obvious that it had been in there just waiting for him for a while. So he summoned his courage, rang the doorbell, and his father answered. And as soon as the father saw him, he burst into tears, gave his son a big hug, and said, I love you. We are so proud of you. It is so good to have you home. Now come inside. Let's fix chicken salad sandwiches. And that experience took what that pastor theologically had always known in his head. He learned it all in seminary somewhere, but it made that real to him in his heart, that he could stop trying to earn God's approval. Instead, he just needed to admit that he was a sinner and then let Jesus begin the process of transforming him into everything he was created to be. And of course, he still does good things, serves others, cares for the poor, but not to earn anyone's approval. 
but because he trusts God when he says that doing it will bring joy. We all have our stuff, even pastors. You know, there's a book back in the 70s called I'm Okay, You're Okay. I think it should have been titled I Got Stuff, You Got Stuff, All God's Children Got Stuff. Right? We fudge the truth to make ourselves look better. We think lustful thoughts. We say hurtful things. We envy others. We withhold love. We mismanage our anger and lash out and on and on and on. It took me only about three seconds to generate that list of sins. Do you know why? Because my wife does every single one of them. No, because I do them. Heck, that was just yesterday's list, right? But the good news is we can never be too bad to be excluded from God's love, but we can never be good enough to earn it either. And when it comes to heaven, it's not going to be filled with a bunch of people who think they're good. It'll be filled with people who had the courage to admit that they were bad and needed Jesus to forgive them and make them whole. That is a radical, beautiful message only found in the gospel. So this week, instead of trying to earn God's approval, can you simply pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, here is the raw, unvarnished truth about me. And then confess your sins. Knowing that he's not going to club you over the head with them, he's just going to say, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. Because of Christ's death on the cross, you're forgiven. And then rest in this good news that relationship with God is the one place in life you do not have to prove yourself. And then will you follow him and obey him because you trust him and trust that what he says to do is going to bring you joy. And then can you see yourself as not better or worse than anyone else but standing on level ground at the foot of the cross with everyone else, a forgiven sinner who the Holy Spirit is transforming into a saint? I came across a kind of a lighthearted poem a couple of weeks ago that, that gives a great image of what heaven's about, but also what God's grace is about right here and now. And it says, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, by the lights or its decor. It was the folks in heaven that made me sputter and gasp. Thieves, liars, sinners, alcoholics in the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotten away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I'd like to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet and somber? Give me a clue. Hush, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I got stuff, you got stuff, all God's children got stuff. But because of Jesus, we can admit it, and then he forgives us and makes us new. And for us Eastsiders who have to earn approval every day of our lives, that's a lot of good news. Lord, we got our stuff. And we are so grateful that you cleanse us and make us new and Lord, just help us to humbly admit that we need you. We cannot do it on our own. Thank you for this gift. We pray it in your name. Amen.